and welcome to the Line Break Podcast. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Bob Sikora. Oh my gosh, hello! We're hey, here. we're here! We did it! Oh, it's a Friday. The month is not over. We the made month it. is not over. We, we March has five weeks. We made it to get an episode out in March. Five, five weeks, that's right. Yeah. Long month, March. Who'd have thunk? Yeah, who'd have thunk? But March has five weeks. Um, you're back from across the pond. You're away for a little bit. <laughs> across the pond. Across the pond. Uh, spring break in Spain. Spring break uh, in Spain. Uh, it's, it's just... What is there to say? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, uh, the, the it's just, Spain. It kicks ass. What is there to say? Feeling, feeling incredibly charmed about having been able to go there, uh, having the, like, space in my life to do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, I just, people don't get a spring break, <laughs> you know, for the right. most part. Um, and, I mean, and, and, like, most of my colleagues, you know, had the question of, like, what would you do over spring break? And I was like, oh, I actually have a cool answer. And they're like, yeah, I, Sad at home, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Rightfully so, a very good use of spring break. But uh, we we snuck this this trip in there, and it was a blast. And I'm still still buzzing, and you know, feeling it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you: um, Did you run into any like literary tourism sites in Spain? Because a couple months back, I realized I couldn't name any like Spanish Spanish writers mm-hmm. besides Cervantes. And so I like, and I went to like a Wikipedia list and I was like, I've never heard of any of these guys. So did you run into any, like, you know, I've got one that's relevant to the pod today. Amazingly. Awesome. Uh, uh, there was a statue of Lorca in a plaza. Um, I got, cool. I got a cute little picture uh, with the, with the Lorca statue. Um, nice. We'll get into more of that, but no, I similarly, and we will continue to talk about this when we actually get to the meat of the pod. But uh, I, I had that moment beforehand where I was like, I should, I should get something from a Spanish writer to read while I'm over there. Um, right. You know, I'm very classically like looking through the library, um, what they've got and who I know and what I would possibly want to read. Um, and just had that moment where I was like, you need to do better research than like a couple days before. Yeah. You you know, yeah, like I always trip up on, you know, Lorca was one of the things I was looking at possibly getting, and I always trip up on, like, well, like, I should figure out who's a good translator. Right. Um, you know, I don't want to carry a collected works kind of thing over there. So trying to choose a book, yeah, it just overwhelmed right. me, and I was like, all right, let's 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 focus on some things that you know what you're getting into. <laughs> and knowing what we know about the contemporary literary world, there's probably someone really exciting working on all of this that neither of us have heard of. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like it, it made me want to do some of that work. Um, you know, realizing a, like Lorca is a name I know. And then there's this kind of movement of poets around the same time. Um, I'm, I'm dropping the name there that like sounded really cool. Um, right, and, like, right. and like people like who, yeah, like are well-known enough, like they have been translated in English um, but I just I need to put in a little bit of work to think about like which 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 version of their work, which translation, which you know selected or whatever that I want to grab, and that was not going to happen pre-Spain. I'm adding it to my summer list though. You can you can hold me to that. All right, that works. Yeah, I yeah I um it's interesting. I, I it 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 is a it's certainly a product of colonialism where I was like I I I, I read lots of Spanish language writers, but it's it's all the old, the, the old empire of Spain, you know, like, like, you know, 
right. Mexican writers and Colombian writers and right. Brazilian exactly. writers or yeah. Argentinian writers, not Brazilian, Brazilian support, whatever. Um, yeah, and then no, no actual Spanish writers. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've we've all got our uh, gaps in our reading list that we're gonna forever be <laughs> one feeling bad about, but also hopefully trying to to fill. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Lorca, uh, we got off topic from Lorca, but speaking of Lorca, <laughs> do you have a, uh, did you bring a poem that maybe I didn't bring maybe a, <laughs> I didn't bring a true Lorca? poem today. I didn't All bring right. a true poem today. I brought some prose. It's the, it's the, <laughs> it's the comma in the period podcast today. Cause I'm doing a prose poem too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had that moment where I, I was rereading it and I was like, no, this is a poem too. This is a poem. Oh, yeah. Um, but it is. It's a poem. We'll get to it. Um, so as I said, I didn't actually <laughs> read Lorca while I was in Spain. I read uh, Jack Spicer's collection after Lorca, um, which includes these series of letters. Speaking of colonized minds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I went to this country and read what an American had to say about it. Oh, it's, oh, it's wor- oh definitely what's worse <laughs> is that I read uh, the no- Ben Leonard's novel, uh, Leaving the Atacha Station, which is about an American poet who gets a fellowship. It's about himself, but oh, man. the mirrors are just stacking up on each other. <laughs> right. He's an American poet who gets a, well, he had a Guggenheim to go to Madrid or something. He had some big right. fellowship reason to go to Madrid, but yeah, it's about his, his time in Madrid. Um, and he's in theory translating poetry, but his, his project is not at all what he says he is. He's, he knowingly is like a fraud about it. it's, it's, I don't know how much Ben Lerner you know about. I have now read all three of his novels and none of his poetry. Um, and I simultaneously like really like them and also kind of hate them. <laughs> sure. People I like have that same feeling about Ben mm-hmm. Lerner. Mm-hmm. So I've, I, I hear him talked about all the time. Right. I, in my brain, get him confused with Ben Marcus all the time, who I have actually read. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I haven't, haven't read have read but, yeah. but I've heard about him all the time. And basically exactly that from people I trust. Like <laughs> So so both of my my Spain reads were distinctly American writers and distinctly like responding. I don't know. I was trying to be as obnoxiously meta as possible. You're a real real Mike White over there just <laughs> scouting for white lotus seasons. <laughs> I'm gonna read this. <laughs> there is no title. Dear Lorca. When I translate one of your poems and I come across words I do not understand, I always guess at their meanings. I am inevitably right. A really perfect poem, no one yet has written one, could be perfectly translated by a person who did not know one word of the language it was written in. A really perfect poem has an infinitely small vocabulary. It is very difficult. We want to transfer the immediate object, the immediate emotion to the poem. And yet the immediate always has hundreds of its own words clinging to it, short-lived and tenacious as barnacles. And it is wrong to scrape them off and substitute others. A poet is a time mechanic, not an embalmer. The words around the immediate shrivel and decay like flesh around the body. No mummy sheet of tradition can be used to stop the process. Objects, Words must be led across time, not preserved against it. I yell shit down a cliff at an ocean. Even in my lifetime, the immediacy of that word will fade. It will be dead as a lass. 
But if I put the real cliff and the real ocean into the poem, the word shit will ride along with them, travel the time machine until cliffs and oceans disappear. Most of my friends like words too well. They set them under the blinding light of the poem and try to extract every possible connotation from each of them. Every temporary pun, every direct or indirect connection, as if a word could become an object by mere addition of consequences. Others pick up words from the street, from their bars, from their offices, and display them proudly in their poems, as if they were shouting, See what I have collected from the American language? Look at my butterflies, my stamps, my old shoes. What does one do with all this crap? Words are what sticks to the real. We use them to push the real, to drag the real into the poem. They are what we hold on with, nothing else. They are as valuable in themselves as rope with nothing to be tied to. I repeat, the perfect poem has an infinitely small vocabulary. Yeah, that's... um, If Jack Spicer writes it, it counts as a poem. (laughs) Jack Spicer, Frank O'Hara, and Paul Salon write it. It counts as a poem, <laughs> even if it's a letter. Uh, uh, yeah, this rips. What? Um, why this poem? Let's get into it. Why? Um, probably because I I picked up this collection a while ago when I realized like how it's this really cute small one, and recognizing that I hadn't read enough Jack Spicer. Um, I think if I like travel back in time, I can like picture the first person who kind of was really excited about Jack Spicer in my life. And it's someone I really, I really love and respect. Um, but I think we had very different kind of views on poetry, probably still do. Um, and so I put off Spicer for a long time and I was really taken by this book. I think, I think it's a fantastic collection, but it feels like another one where like, just to read one of the poems, doesn't do it justice. I don't know if I like all the poems. Um, the introduction to the collection was really helpful because it talks about how each of the poems has a subtitle. It says like translation for, and there's kind of this assumption that it's all translations of Lorca. And many of them are translations of Lorca, but he also like stops translating and adds his own words. Other poems are called translations, but they are not. They're just original poems. And then these letters are in here. And so I, I think just I needed to choose something that sure. would let me think out loud about this. All of my ideas about this book and Jack um, and what's great or what could maybe be not great about this are all half-baked. Um, but this <laughs> yeah, felt sure. like a, yeah. a grounding piece to let me kind of think about it because he says so much. And it's, it's, it's generally really lovely. And also one of those things where it's like I love the way he's talking about language and what happens in poems. And I'm also like, I have no idea if I agree with any of what he's saying or not. Sure. That's fascinating because I I, I, I really like Jack Spicer is another one of those poets that I really like everything I've read and I haven't read an entire collection, like mm-hmm. sat down and just done it. But everything I've read I thought was really cool. I also think because his name is Jack Spicer, like that's a cartoon name for like a mid-century American poet. Like it's... <laughs> You can't help but get excited when someone's talking about Jack Spicer. But yeah, I don't I don't know much, but I've always thought like, yeah, this this stuff is really cool, but then also, you know, for the last twelve or so years, knowing who he was, I have never, you know, bothered to get a collection. So there 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 you know, he he doesn't like I'm always excited when Jack Spicer comes up, but he hasn't yet inspired right. me to be like, let's spend a lot of time with this guy. So right, yeah, right, right. it's curious yeah. for me to hear um 
hear you say all that. And the question that I feel like I have to come out of this is, does the perfect poem actually have an infinitely small vocabulary? I've been turning that phrase over in my head you know, for the last hour or so since you sent me this text. <laughs> but, uh, I, maybe, <laughs> um, it, I certainly think the perfect poem doesn't have an excess of wordiness or like a, a word for there being the sake of there being a $10 word. But I also think the perfect poem has interesting words. Mm-hmm. So if it's mm-hmm. a small vocabulary, that's not to say it's like a first grade level vocabulary. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. Um, I, I like a lot of what he's saying in here about my friends. Many of my friends like words too well. They mm-hmm. set them under the blinding light of the poem and try to extract every possible connotation from each of them. Every temporary pun, every direct and inc- indirect connection as if the word could become an object by mere addition of consequences. That really got me thinking about like, high school poetry and like deconstructing, you know, people from centuries ago and stuff like that. And like stuff I hate about poetry analysis. So (laughs) I think that like that pushed me to a place of the perfect poem says what it needs to say and gets out almost. Mm. Um, and and that's, that's a little more simplistic than it sound than I want it to sound. But, um, yeah, like the, the perfect poem kind of knows what it's doing. And then the reader, Mm knows enough to let it do what it's doing without deconstructing its death. I don't know. Um, I like that. I, I, I buy I, that. I, I don't know. <laughs> Not to say deconstructing um, poems is bad. Like, obviously. Sure. We have a whole sure. But I think you, you, <laughs> we do. I think you're right in that he's, he's saying that the perfect poem is like, like it's so clear in expressing this thing that it wants to do that you don't need to do any of the right. high school explication stuff. And, it, it, and the thing that we always say of like the, this is not to say that the perfect poem is simplistic. Like the, 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 the more specific we get into something, the more universal it ends up feeling sometimes like we mm-hmm. talk about. Right. Um, right. Like, yeah, that's sorry. I cut you off, but yeah. No, 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 no. So I was thinking too, I was, I, I know I've like seen that quote ascribed to him before. I had never seen it in context. It's infinitely, I don't know, infinitely. It's a lot more interesting to me in context than as just this little quote. Definitely. Um, but I've got a couple things that I like. I need to scratch about it. Because I agree, I agree with a lot of what you were saying there. The first thing that just stands out to me, is, and, and perhaps it's a deficiency in like my poetic interests, but I've just never thought too much about what the perfect poem is or thought that there oh, yeah. is a perfect poem. <laughs> I assume that was a rhetorical device. I don't right. think anyone actually cares that if there's a perfect poem out there or something. <laughs> I, I, I Maybe mean, since he's talking about translation, you know, like, am I doing a perfect sure. version of this poem? Am I getting a perfect translation? That's of this a good poem? point. I guess that's part of it, too, is I couldn't always put my finger on his tone of, like, how much he's being taught. Like, I think there's... I always read him as half sarcastic. Yeah, I yeah. I want to, and I also feel like he's being serious for some reason. Maybe, maybe yeah. he is, you know. Right. But yeah, I read right. him as like a crank at the end of the di- end of a dive bar. <laughs> just like, 
is kind of joking a little bit about everything he says. But like, then he's also kind of serious about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, because that's like what you know. What, I'm glad you said that, by the way, because I thought I was weird for I thought I was, <laughs> thought I was reading Jack Spicer wrong. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. Um, well, that opening part to me feels like really telling um, because it's funny when he says. When I translate one of your poems and I come across a word I do not understand, I always guess at their meanings. I am inevitably right. It's a funny yeah, thing to say. It's so funny. It's such a shitty thing to say. You know, it's like, so it's so dismissive and condescending, but it's really yes, funny. The yeah. I will I'll cut it out of the editing so it won't be heard, but I laughed out loud at um where is it? Uh <laughs> see what I've collected from the American language? Look at my butterflies, my stamps, my old shoes. What does one do with all this crap? <laughs> <laughs> yes yes that's cranky so, grandpa talk <laughs> so i guess that's probably a big part of it for me of of what's so engaging about this and also curious about this um is it, like you're right at that half sarcasm thing like he's so funny he's got these two really absurd uh buster keaton poems in this yeah, I've read the Buster uh, Keaton ones. Yeah. Um, you know, that also helped with, like, realizing, like, how wacky and kind of zany he could be. But I guess it's the way that having that rub against, like you said, I think there's some, like, really, like, important, interesting observations about how a poem works. Oh, yeah, there's stuff does. you could teach in your comp classes at yeah. this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About what poetry's for and what language is for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, yeah, and maybe this is like just a, a a Bob overthinking thing, but I always I have I have trouble sometimes. Yeah, when like tones don't quite align for me. I think I I like your reading. I think that's helping me with it. Um, but I know just as I go through this one and some of the other letters, I was always kind of like, this is funny. Does he believe this? Am I supposed to believe this? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess maybe maybe not because he's very aware of the fact that he's writing to a dead Lorca. He writes uh, an introduction in the voice of Lorca. <laughs> like, it's such a playful, <laughs> to, absurd... To, to a dead book. Lorca who, who died horribly, we should Right, right, right. Yes. His body has never been found. <laughs> right. Which I, I also felt like an important thing hanging over this is... Uh, not that Spicer was necessarily, like, apolitical, but, like, choosing Lorca seems so interesting when you, like... You can't bring him up without the right. the weight of of his political role and his brutal brutal death, um, and yeah, so that's why I chose this is because it's like a wave of stuff coming over me <laughs> as I read it that I can't fully untangle, which I love. Yeah, that's you know that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, <laughs> let's let's out of out of all of those waves of stuff, let's let's pick one. What's the move in this poem? What's really getting it for you? Because you picked um, it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple parts, and I think it is when he does get to me seemingly more into actually saying something about language, um, stuff that he might believe. And so I'm thinking the second and third paragraph um, where he's he's interested in this idea of what is real, can language become real, uh, he doesn't want language to be a substitute for the real. I'm probably just going to have to read so much of this over, but at the start of the second par- paragraph, it is very difficult. 
we want to transfer the immediate object, the immediate emotion to the poem. And yet the immediate always has hundreds of its own words clinging to it, short-lived and tenacious as barnacles. Like that rules, that idea it's so of... Good. Yeah, I like, uh, if I want to bring an object into the poem right in front of me right now is a coin, you know, that I can never put this coin truly in the poem. And even when I say the word coin, it's loaded with all of these meanings and these ideas and these fragments. And like, yeah, the idea of like barnacles being attached to it is just like, so good. And I, I really loved the, um, where was it? We said something about, like, why would you scrape the barnacles? Oh, it's wrong to scrape the barnacles off. That's what it was. Right. Uh, right. It's right there at the beginning of the sentence, or the, the beginning of the next sentence. Um, right. And what, yeah, a, an excellent concrete image to bring in that. The second paragraph is the whole, is the money of the essay. This is it. I this think is so. Like, this is, everything else is just kind of jokey, and, like, it was not, <laughs> not everything else is jokey, but, like, Everything else would be like insincere and irreverent without the second paragraph. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think whereas, truly wouldn't work for me. Yeah, no, uh, I think I'd without, be bored without the second paragraph. Yeah, yeah like yeah. even the parts that are fun, it's it's not doing enough for me. Right after that, for me, might be the the, the sentence that I, I this goes back to last episode, uh, my obsession with time here. A poet is a time mechanic, not an embalmer. I want, I was going to bring that up, and because we, what we talked about recently, <laughs> right? Um, like, stop stopping time. Uh, <laughs> the fact that was that last it's a, episode a or time, episode before last, yeah, yeah. A time mechanic is such an interesting phrase that I could sit with and play around with all day. Um, it's probably the one I like more. Um, it's and a it's good, also like. Yeah. I agree what he says. A poet. I like. That's one of those parts where I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. Um, but also not an embalmer like that. I feel like we could unpack and never truly quite figure out what he means by that. But I love it. Yeah, because embalming is like to dress up something that's dead. But isn't that? I mean, you know, like if you're if you're if you're thinking of, of a poem as something to stop time with, and that means it's mm-hmm. something worth something that whatever you're writing about is worth stopping time for. You're kind of cleaning it up and and dressing it up like an embalmer. But no, he's he's like. Adding that's, this like tinkering thing to it because a mechanic, yeah, that's tinkers good, and then keeps things running, right? But I think there's a way that you're reading him like dead on of if a poet was an embalmer, like part of that phrase recognizes that for him, you know, like language rather than becoming the object or becoming this lasting thing, like dies immediately. It's like, you know, it's weighed down by the barnacles, by all the other associations, you know? And so an embalmer, if a poet was an embalmer, they would be dressing up and decorating this thing that is dead upon arrival. But instead, like you said, this time mechanic, someone who's tinkering with time, I, you know, repair doesn't seem like the right word, but you know, is, I, I don't know. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's really got the wheel spinning over here. Let me look something up. So I have I have, I have an artistic uh, comparison for you to throw okay. at you. Bring so it. an embalmer would be like Thomas Kincaid, you know, like those mall light paintings. That, okay. You know, like those those like Christmas paintings that you see in like Christians' yeah. houses, um, with like with, with like light. You know, that's Thomas Kincaid. That's what an embalmer does. A a time mechanic. Would be like that, um, the third of May, eighteen oh eight, by Goya, with the, uh, 
You feel me? Oh, damn. <laughs> Just coming back from Spain. Did that work? <laughs> that did work. The, <laughs> no, it didn't. The Lorca that we saw. <laughs> oh. No, I buy, I buy it. I'm fully buying on this. It's so good. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> can, I, can I fire myself from the podcast? <laughs> you do this to yourself. <laughs> you take us there. Uh, um. <laughs> If I can latch on to one more thing, just that, that following paragraph, again, also f- funny, yelling shit down a cliff at an ocean. Very but, funny. <laughs> very funny. Also very funny, uh, shit will become as, as dead as a lass. Yeah, so <laughs> good. It's like imagining the neck beards of like <laughs> 3,000 3, AD, like being like <laughs> yelling shit, you know, and everyone be like, oh, Gary... Talking like he's twenty twenty one again. Um, but that idea there of that's the part where I got that him kind of saying like you say the word and because it's not real, like it it doesn't have the ability to travel through time. Um, and so he's pushing for this type of poem, uh, or this type of language, perhaps that has that power to persist through time. Yeah. I mean, I guess language is always going to be time contextual, right? So mm-hmm. like you, yeah. you're writing a poem and it immediately starts to become, the poem starts to become less immediate the second you publish mm-hmm. it. You know? yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but then, but you are, you are putting ink on paper. You are writing something. You right. are. So that's a, that's a way of preserving. Um, For sure. So there's, you know, like it it can't it can't live up the poem can't live up to the context of the future, but it has to endure to the future or something like mm-hmm. that. You know? Mm-hmm. Oof. Oof. <laughs> you're teeing me up for all this. I feel like I cut you off again. You you're teeing no, me up. I don't I don't remember what I was saying. <laughs> Take me to the last question. We're dying down the cliff, something like that. I don't know. Um uh, the word's dead. Alright, well, <laughs> If we're, if, we're, if, we're not, if we're not going to the words on the page, let's go beyond the page. What's beyond, beyond the page? The page. Uh, well, to get to beyond the page, I'm going to go back to the words on the page. <laughs> uh, no, I just, after we said all that, I, I wanted to come back to that phrase, words are what sticks to the real, which is also just another one I can't fully unpack live in real time. Because it kind of sounded like before that he was talking about words, you know, that aren't able to persist there's some kind of language that persists all of this bringing back to i guess like one of the enjoyable exercises of reading this particular letter and all of him musing about poetry um is that it felt like another kind of grounding type of reading uh to make me think about like what am i doing what do i want to be doing in my work um my very slow moving work was supposed to be more productive this year. That was one of the goals, you know, I mean, and this is like not a new thought for me. I mean, this definitely in particular, this letter is, is so good at pushing the pushing back against any idea of writing with the goal of timelessness. I mean, maybe that's not exactly what he's saying, but I hear that echo all over this of exactly like you're saying, you know, like language being very rooted in the, the moment that it's, it's coming from. 
and and uh, to write into whatever the hell I want to be writing about right now is yeah. enough. And I think he would. I don't, I was about, I don't know what I was going to say about his feelings about that, but that's some of the feelings that I, I, I was left with is, is to release some of the guard trepidation, um, overthinking about whatever the heck I'm doing and, and, and write some poems, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you, yeah. You getting out of your own way and. Right. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have the, uh, do you have the, the, the inner optimist of the, well, if I do end up in the Norton anthologies, what will the footnotes say about me in this poem <laughs> or whatever? Cause I that gets in my brain sometimes and it's very Absolutely. stupid, but it's, it's there, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a, one of those always act like you're on camera or something like that. I don't know, you know, like, right. Uh, but, but yeah, like, yeah. If, if that's getting in the way of writing, you just, you just say, you just silence that and, and write. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's tough. I get you. Like it's, you know, I, I have some. I was working on a story the other day, and I made some references to Twitter. And I was like, hmm. should I put this in a story? Like, is this is anyone <laughs> gonna know? Like, <laughs> even in twenty years, like, right, right, um, right. You know, and like, I, I I think it's kind of like lazy and juvenile criticism to be like, you know, like if a movie has like a flip phone or whatever to have that like yeah. take you out of the movie or if a movie references like Friendster or whatever, having that be like, oh, look, like point and laugh and look, look how old this is, you know, right. like I think that's kind of useless, but it's also like, yeah, like what, what in this will make sense in 400 years if there's a 400 years from now, you know? Right, um, right. But I don't know if that's getting in the way of finishing your work, just finish your work. I don't know what's getting in the way of finishing my work right now. I'm I'm reminded uh I, I can't find a direct quote right now, but I, I know there's talk of or Spicer talked about uh like his work just like coming to him or being written like in communion with some aliens who were speaking to him. Word. And and that's very an mid century American poet. <laughs> that's an energy that I, I could I could latch on to right now, I think, to to help push me through and just it just has some more poems that I'm excited about. Yeah, definitely. Well, I can't wait to read them when they come. <sighs> we'll see. Uh, you brought a real poem. Let's talk about a real poem. All right. I did bring a real poem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it is not a poem. The first poem in the book, it is 63 pages into the book. But, um, yeah, this is um, a book that I haven't gone back and read yet, but it is it's first on my list for next week or for next month, but we'll get into that and be on the page. Um, but yeah, this is uh, Julia Doxy. I believe I'm saying her last name right, uh, from her book, The Next Monsters. This poem is called Mansion. My whole body hums, and I tend to it every day. When you see me wearing only voodoo dust, we will need ice, of course, to quiet the smoke alarms. Meanwhile, my gut hums, and I pretend to keep a mountain under my pillow. You see me a flutter in my expansive thorn garden, fresh from a five-week coma, chanting stillness, stillness, stillness issues velvet. My hunger is unbearable, like a tight suit. There are 22 rooms here your words inhabit. The twisted seraphs I spiral up and corkscrew down and spiral up and corkscrew down every day. Wear my dizzy skin, please, and shh. What would happen if we became holy? My heart is a mansion with a thousand smoke alarms, 
what would happen if I didn't stop? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. <laughs> There's a lot here. Uh, start us off. Why this poem? Well, like I said, um, this book's on my list, so I needed a poem for the podcast, and I went and I pulled off the shelf and just started flipping through it. The first couple that grabbed me were like three pages long, and I was like, I can't do that. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah, this one just... This one stuck out to me. Um, haven't, surprisingly, off-brand, haven't read a lot of prose poems lately. Haven't read any <laughs> in a long time, and it was it just did some. It has some movement to it that I really that I really dug, and uh, has a has like both a moodiness and a casualness to it. Um, yeah, that I find absolutely. really appealing. Right, just like alternates between like like feeling like something ominous is happening, and then just like like really casual stuff, like um, like like. <laughs> Like, meanwhile, my gut hums, and I pretend to keep a mountain under my pillow, like you know, like, like yeah. lines like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it, yeah, just it's just fun. It does a lot of things I like. It's a good one. <laughs> it does it? It does feel like a Chris Core poem. Um, I I might have misheard you. Um, have not read the collection yet, or have read it before, or do you have a relationship with her work? I've I've read it uh, like ten or twelve years ago. Um, okay, okay, yeah. there's a. I think I picked up, this came out in 2013, which I think was the last time AWP was in Chicago. And this right. is Black Ocean. I was definitely at the Black Ocean uh, table at the book fair. I'm betting I picked this up and then picked up her other book, um, Undersleep, uh, which came mm-hmm. out, I think, in 2008. And so, yeah, read her. And then, then that was also around the time when I was like going broke very quickly. So I just... Um, N- never got another Julia Doxy book because I read those two and then didn't have money for poems for a while. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah. So, and then was like, oh, it's been, you know, it's been 10 years now since I've interacted with this work. So it's time to, uh, yeah, time to, time to get to it. We love a reread. We love coming back. It's funny. I, well, I just moved. And so like, I'm every book on my shelf is like, I'm keeping this. I'm definitely keeping this. And so I'm almost like auditing, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the poet is not an embalmer, an auditor. Well, what if a book, you know, what if a book, what if it's time for that book to be with another reader? What if another reader needs that book? And that I don't know what that feels that? like. <laughs> I've never experienced that. <laughs> I, I keep books for way too long. I maybe have told you this story before, but one of the last time, it was either the last time I moved from Chicago or one of the last, I've moved from Chicago enough times. But uh, I was getting rid of books, and I finally I had this, like, literally an, an anthology from high school that I was like, I got to get rid of it. I got to get rid of it. And I, I drop all this, these books off. I drop a bunch of books off, actually. But months later, I'm, like, in this used bookstore, and I, I see my, my anthology from high school. I'm like, holy shit. This is awesome. I open up, <laughs> and it's the one that I donated. It's your copy. It's, Perfect. It's my actual copy. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, all right. We got to get into the mansion of this poem, um, which I feel it. like comes up in a couple of different ways. But let's you take me somewhere to a move in this poem, and we'll probably end up talking about a lot of this poem in the process. <laughs> but bring bring us to a starting point. Um, there's I have a one and a, I have a one A and a one B. One A one B. Let's do it. One A is the uh, the the clause, the middle of a sentence. Fresh from a five-week coma, chanting, stillness, 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 issues velvet. Mm. 
first of all, Velvet is such a great but kind of expected detail of a mansion, but it's mm. snuck in there in a like that's a great way to sneak it in there without like and surprise me with it, you know? Right, right. And then the the chant, like the three stillnesses. And there's Absolutely. never a stillness after this. It's not a, it doesn't like build in the poem. It doesn't like, it's not a, it's not a compounding effect, but it, 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 it sort of faints towards that. And yeah. then like, and, and then just like, I don't know, cellar door, man, it's just a nice phrase to say stillness, stillness, stillness <laughs> issues, velvet. Like it's, you know, it's just, just great. Just silky on the tongue. Wonderful. Like, like dark chocolate in your chili. It's great. Um, <laughs> And then one B is um, I, I kind of roll my eyes at this one at this one a little bit because um, uh, word and font puns like make me think of nerds in undergrad. But <laughs> there are twenty two words here. Your words twenty two rooms here. Your words inhabit the twisted serifs, and I spiral up and corkscrew down and spiral up and corkscrew down every day. Makes me feel like you know a labyrinthine picture of a mansion with like a bunch of staircases Mm, and you don't really know where everything is, but that's not, but it's a description of like, yeah, fonts and like words and conversations and stuff like that, that is not necessarily a physical description of a mansion, but feels like a physical description. of Right. Right. Um, I think that's a really sick trick. That's hell. Yeah. Very cool. (laughs) Um, you know, the problem the problem here for me as a reader is anytime I a poem calls attention to language in that particular way, I'm trying to describe what the particularity is for me. It's calling attention to the like the look and feel and texture of mm-hmm. written language at least. Immediately, like my alarm goes off, is like, mm, is this an artist poetica? Are we talking about poetry right now? Um, so now I have to that's read. Fair, that's this usually poem. what it makes me do. It usually makes right. me like any font discussion. Usually makes me roll my eyes. And... Right? Yeah, it's making me think about because that makes me think about language in in this like particular way when I think of font. Um, right. Because it's like right. it's one of the few ways that makes you think. Yeah, of I I guess like how language looks, for lack of a better word. Right. Um, and now I want to read the poem that way. Um, before I do that, could you, if you have any, because I think it, this is a classic poem where, like, on first or second read, I don't fully know what's going on, and I don't care. I'm very okay with that. It's so much is happening that I'm excited about. But do you have a read of the aboutness of this poem? A read of the aboutness. Yeah. Well, because the book is called The Next Monsters, um, <laughs> and it, it is not – you know i remember reading it at first and be like this doesn't have any monsters in it at all because like, it's, it's not like it's it's not you know because black ocean and zach schomberg's on black ocean too i was like yeah. thinking there'd be werewolves every other page or whatever you know and it's like it's it is it is much more uh metaphorical than that right but still has that kind of like that 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 kind of surrealist bent to a lot of the work. So I am primed. I'm reading this in a. I'm building a like a week long April reading reading list of like what I consider to be like horror poetry, which isn't cool. to say necessarily like poetry with like scary themes, but just poetry that makes me like feel uneasy sometimes. Feel like a yeah. get the feeling of like watching a horror movie or reading a horror book. Um, right. And this 
because this book is called The Next Monsters, because there is a, a kind of like surreality and uncanniness to a lot of the poems, I feel like this is a description of a mansion. I feel like this is a this is a this is a House of Usher. This is a, a Castle Dracula <laughs> type type thing. Like you know, my whole body hums. I tend to it every day. The body as a house. The body as a as a temple. Uh, as as something right. that's tending to and caretaking, like a house needs caretaking. And um, you know, and the, the voodoo dust pointing to like you know, I'm rightly or wrongly associate that with like death and and and, and coming back from the death and stuff like that. Mm. And where are my dizzy skin? Like another sort of life after life kind of thing. So yeah, I get it. I, I, I'm getting it as a description of a haunted house. Um, mm. That's that's my pithy aboutness of it. <laughs> I I'm like wanting to di- <laughs> to go against Jack Spicer here. I'm wanting to dissect this poem. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, we have a podcast. <laughs> Jack Spicer here. He's dead. <laughs> um. I yeah. I'm just. I'm so fascinated with this. With the smoke alarms, um, there's a lot of I, smoke I alarms. There's yeah, like you're right that there's this sense of unease hanging all over this poem. Um, you're reminding me of when we talked about the the fjords poem. How the 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 ultimate Chris Corlew poem is a poem that's like scared of something that's you you don't ever see. You don't ever know what it is. Right. <laughs> and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm also, I just read Sylvia Mariano Garcia's Mexican Gothic where a house is like, I don't want to spoil too much of the twist, but there's something <laughs> alive in the house that is fucking people up. <laughs> like, so I'm, I'm proud to be reading this, yeah. but keep going. Right. Sorry. Right. And, and towards the end. So what would happen if we became holy? My heart is a mansion with a thousand smoke alarms what would happen if I didn't stop? If oh. what didn't stop? The holiness or the smoke alarms? <laughs> well, I'm trying to think about how this is reading the what would happen if we became holy. Because talk about a line that in another poem feels so different. You know? Yeah. Um, but like that, I could read in very, very, very different poems. My heart is a mansion with a thousand smoke alarms feels like a line that could only happen in this poem. Yeah. Um, and what would happen if I didn't stop? You know, you know, I'm... There's something about motion. There's something about being in the body. So we, if we go back to the beginning, the, the start is my whole body hums. I tend to it every day. So there's this like motion within the body that needs to be tended to. Um, and then later, like you said, that where my dizzy skin moment echoes that for me too, somehow of the body is one, this wearable thing, a thing that you can take off and give to somebody else, but somehow like a, a body that's in motion, a body that is humming, like dizziness totally makes sense for me there. Right. And, and the body, the right after that first line, my whole body hums. I tend to it every day. We're in the body. Second line, second sentence immediately moves us out. When you see me wearing only voodoo dust, we'll need an mm. ice, of course, which means there's the external smoke alarms, the external right. smoke alarms versus the interior smoke alarms that we right. have. So the body is is doing stuff to set off those smoke alarms. Right, right. And, and that line, that specific line, me wearing only voodoo dust, uh, I, again, maybe I'm I'm reading too far, but that also gives me the sense of like the skin that can come, you know, like I'm not wearing my body anymore. I'm just wearing voodoo dust. Right. Right. <laughs> it's something I can't even picture, but is incredible. 
I'm getting like uh, like body painting imagery almost, you know, like maybe. like just like a thin covering <laughs> of dust, you know. I don't know. Um, meanwhile, my gut hums, and I pretend to keep a mountain under my pillow. I'm again like so the gut, the body's humming, the gut's humming. There's this like <sighs> hum in both these sentences is all is also making me uneasy. If I if my gut's humming, I'm not I'm not at peace. I'm not easy. I'm not at <laughs> yes. ease. Yeah. Yes. I am uneasy. <laughs> and I'm pretending to keep a mountain under my pillow. Um I'm trying to think why I would keep a mountain under my pillow. Mountains are big and strong. They wouldn't actually fit under my pillow, but I'm pretending so it's not actually there. So I'm desiring this feeling of the mountain under my pillow. Or maybe I, I'm, uh, I'm again reading proto-Victorian Gothic stuff. Like uh, maybe I'm like exaggerating an illness, keeping a mountain under my pillow, mm. pretending to keep a mountain under my pillow. Right. Exaggerating right. a pain, exaggerating a, a something that's making you infirm. Right. Um, I, I feel like this is probably sometimes how my students feel, where like I get so excited about a line that I can't actually explain to them. What <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really happy that I was latching on this idea of motion, though, because I, I had kind of like I had literally it's the first thing we talked about, and I had already forgotten the the chanting of stillness and how crucial and like at the center yeah. that is of this poem. Because it's right there in the middle. It's the only part that's italicized. Right, right, um, and that somehow the stillness is the thing we're looking for for a sense of ease or peace or calmness. Yeah. Golly. You know, just, I, I think we could pick and pick and pick. Yeah. Um, and, and like find new caverns and, you know, excavate completely different ways of looking at this and then still like put our heads out and be like, mansions, mansions. fire alarms, motor <laughs> alarms? I, I don't know. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Ugh. It's a good one. Um, we should, though, because of time. We do, yeah, we do have a time constraint today. Because we can't excavate that deep. Um, <laughs> we should talk about what's going on beyond the poem here for you. Beyond the page. I've alluded to it a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to – I don't know if I'm sealy challenging in April, but I am, like, trying to read as much poetry as I can in cool. April. Um, yeah. And uh, so I'm like, well, I could, I could at least, like, start with – you know, pick out seven books to read together. And like, I was kind of yeah. thinking about like, I've been thinking about this idea of horror poetry for a while of poetry that like, I don't think if, if you asked any of these poets I'm thinking of, they would consciously say I'm writing horror poetry. Right. I don't think it's like a, a, even the best term for like the genre that I'm trying to like define, but this, this sort of type of poem that gives the sense of unease without really, um, without being explicit about trying to make you uneasier or, or, mm, or trying to like mm-hmm. disquiet you. And, uh, so yeah, I, you know, am excited about exploring that and, uh, oh, yeah. we'll be reading both this and undersleep, uh, along with some, mm-hmm. we mentioned Zach Schomburg along with some, uh, who else do I have set aside? I have, a, I have a Josh book set aside to do this. Um, I'm still working on it, but yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, for that's sure. you know, that's, that's what's going cool. on. And I'm also the, the, the bookshelf is downstairs, so I can't reference it right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, but yeah, this this I'm glad that your reading of it kind of validates what I've been thinking about, which is really nice. Like that cool. it, it is kind of like this this like just, you know, unsettling type of poem that's yeah, you know, in a fun way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we love that. Yeah. We love that. <sighs> well, I guess we should talk about basketball. I guess we should talk a little <laughs> bit of hoops. Um, I wanted to, uh, I pulled the hoops question from, uh, from Spicer. Um, <laughs> what the, um, the playoffs are coming up. We should acknowledge the playoffs are coming up. I don't know how much we'll talk That's about the true. playoffs, but the, uh, maybe the, qu- the question I have is who is a perfect player with an infinitely small vocabulary to you, whatever that could mean. Wow. That's good. I can give you mine if you want to think. I mean, I'd have to think about why I say this. Sure. And this is, this is a cop out. My first answer is like, Oh, Chris Paul. Duh. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is it cause he's small? Cause then that's cheating. It's a little part of it is that he is actually small. <laughs> He is a perfect player who happens to be six feet tall. <laughs> who are you, you going to say? I was going to say um, I, I went with Kevin Durant because he is mm. a player who is – he's as close to a perfect player as you can get. He's good at everything. Uh, mm-hmm. He's tall, but he's also can play like a guard. And he doesn't – when I think of his game, I think of like a face-up with a basic crossover and, and a jumper. Right. Like I don't think of him like like, you know, like – like Ray for Alston getting in his bag or, yeah. or, or like, like Giannis just overpowering somebody. I think of Kevin Durant as like sizing up the situation and figuring out the perfect thing to do. I've heard him mm-hmm. described as the perfect plug in and play player. Cause he's really good on defense and he can guard five positions. He's, mm-hmm. um, you know, fit in that warrior system so easily because he, he's like fine catching and shooting and, you know, right. um, yeah, that it was just like, yeah, there's, there's not much, special about Kevin Durant except for everything about him you know <laughs> so that that was that's like a perfect player with a limited vocabulary <laughs> that's where I went with it interesting it's funny because it, what resonates for me there is the way that like when you picture Kevin Durant doing something on the basketball court it is like something basic yeah you, you just know? picture like, just like one that. crossover to get to the elbow <laughs> right. and he rises up and shoots <laughs> I want to go the complete other direction here, though, and say that maybe the perfect basketball player with a limited vocabulary is someone who can't do much but is still really I was going to say, are you going to go with a talentless power forward that just gets rebounds like, <laughs> and sets screens? I mean, I was going to say P.J. Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I should say Luis Scola. <laughs> Luis Cole had a had a vocabulary. He had a post game. That's true. He, he had a vocabulary. He had a thesaurus in his post game. Right. But that's why I think like PJ Tucker's so good for this because yeah, like PJ Tucker's perfect. Yeah. I don't know what he does well, but he is a valuable basketball player. He has like, had times in his career where he can hit corner threes. That's true. He is six <laughs> five and he can defend five positions like, reasonably. Tough plays defense. Yeah. I can't. I can't like. I literally. I can't even like picture him doing a move on offense though. I you know? don't know if I've seen him dribble ever. I, I right. think I know that I have, but I can't tell you what it looks like. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, he came into the league as a shooting guard. I think his basketball reference page oh has him gosh. as a shooting guard in his yeah. first season, which is right. just nuts. I mean, that makes sense. Because yeah. they would not have known what to do with him. No, because how can you? He's six. He's Charles Barkley's size with like half the skill, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know what he does really well? You know what he does exceptionally well? Gets along with James Harden. James Harden wants that guy on his team 
all the that's time. Fair. And you know that's what? Those, those players are valuable. <laughs> I mean, mostly it's just I, as I say that, I, as I hear that, I'd be like, yeah, if I was in the NBA, I would latch on and make good bands with someone who was really good. <laughs> just like, like, how can I make you want me? <laughs> I know I don't have a long time in this league unless someone like you props me up. So <laughs> like the, uh, yeah, like LeBron had with James Jones. Look at him now. He's managing the Phoenix Suns. Um, uh, Michael with Charles Oakley. Well, then they traded him away. I don't know. There's, they're, 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 they're guys. Right. Who, it like, happens. It I wrote happens. about this in, uh, in my crack series, like with like people who have, contracts because they the, the star likes them like the nasa kadumpo right. is sort of an nba player yeah that's a valuable skill <laughs> uh well i am ready for the playoffs i feel like i've been watching basketball less lately i've had my ups and downs this season um, yeah but i mostly yeah. attribute that to Still figuring out how to be an NBA kid and a parent, <laughs> or NBA <laughs> fan and a parent, and right. have a kid. Uh, right. It's right. Bedtime's right in the smack in the middle of the first game, you know? And, yeah. Uh, but, um, and the second game's too late. So I can late. stay up mostly, I can usually make it at least to, to the end of the third um, with the second For game. For me, it feels like it's like halftime. Uh, you know? Uh, the frustrating thing I'll do is I'll I'll fall asleep like in the middle of the third quarter and then wake mm-hmm. up with like thirty seconds to go. I hate know? waking up when the game's over and I'm like, yeah. God damn it, I stayed up so long. Right, and it's still on, and I'm just like, man, I'm like, I, you know, and I don't want to rewind <laughs> now because I see no. the final score. Yeah, uh, being old, just a couple old, old guys. <laughs> <sighs> All right, well, we did it. I'll go. Maybe I'll put Jack Spice, put Spicer on my April list too. <laughs> there we go. Communing with the dead. Communing There's something the dead. there. Yeah. I'll do Spicer and Lorca. Still some time before April. There we go. All right. Our music is done by Brennan Johnson. Our art is A.M. Strickland. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.